Hello, and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're recording A Kiss for Midwinter by Courtney Milan. This was published in 2012 and is the one and a half book in the Brothers Sinister series. We have read the prequel novella, Point Five, and the first novel, Number One. So this is the next one. And it is kicking off our holiday season. You probably know that we love reading holiday romances. We typically knock out quite a few Christmas novellas in the month of December, and we review them based on our normal criteria. But then at the end, I also give a candy cane rating and mm-hmm. assess the um, appropriateness of claiming this is a Christmas book. Yes. Because as longtime listeners will know, I am one of those secular Christmas nut jobs who absolutely wants Christmas trees and garlands and lights everywhere, even though I have absolutely no faith or religion. Mm -hmm. And so I binge Netflix Christmas movies and Hallmark Christmas movies and buy into all of the schmaltz. Yeah. And I just rely, I just rely on Lane to, you know, provide that for my life. So if there are any, the thing is all like made for TV Christmas movie and Christmas novella tropes are like romance tropes, essentially with a little bit more selfless gift giving. Mm -hmm. So we usually don't highlight specific Christmassy tropes, but if there ever were to be one, I would identify it. (laughs) It would be identified for you. (laughs) All right. What's this book about? So the jacket. Yes. Miss Lydia Charingford is always cheerful and never more so than at Christmas time. But no matter how hard she smiles, she can't forget the youthful mistake that could have ruined her reputation. Even though the worst of her indiscretion was kept secret, one other person knows the truth of those dark days. The sarcastic Dr. Jonas Grantham. She wants nothing to do with him, or the butterflies that take flight in her stomach every time he looks her way. Jonas Grantham has a secret, too. He's been in love with Lydia for more than a year. This winter, he's determined to conquer her dislike and win her for his own. And he has a plan to do it. If only his plans didn't so often go awry. This is the setup. This is the setup. I was going to say, do they even mention Christmas? They mention it once in the book jacket. So you know it's a holiday novella. And I will say that the cover is very holiday romance. Good to know. Um, I have one thing I want to quibble with that is both... uh, quibble of the jacket and the book itself Mm -hmm. the book jacket doesn't make it clear that there's a time jump Mm -hmm. and in the book there is a mistake in the time Mm -hmm. jump that I had to flip backward to make sure I wasn't reading it wrong um so in 1857 Mm -hmm. he attends to her when she's pregnant then they meet again in 1862 at which time he says he is 26 and was 21 when they met five years ago. And she is 20 and was 15 when they met. And then it flashes 16 months later. And he says he's still 26. Okay. So just a heads up, there are two time jumps in this book, actually. And he says he's the same age after two of them. I am going to be honest. I didn't notice the issue with the second one. Because number one, I don't look. I have a very difficult problem with the years at the beginning of chapters. <laughs> I have been known to like, because they'll, they'll say 
18, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, oh, Jesus. And I have to like flip back and like do math in my head. And I'm like, I much, if you are an author listening to this, I much prefer if you say 10 years later or five years later. She, something she like did. That. She says 1857, exactly. five years later, and then 16 months later. The problem, and I wouldn't have noticed it, is that I actually didn't notice the second time jump happened at all, mm. except that before it, she clearly had never been engaged. And after it, she'd broken off her engagement. Right. And he was talking about still being 26, like in the context of her being recently unengaged. Mm-hmm. I was like, that doesn't make sense. That means at least a year has passed. Yeah. And that's when I started flipping back through all of the chapters and like seeing if I was wrong or if the book was wrong. And I'm 97% sure the book was wrong. Yeah. I did not notice that continuity error. So, you know, sorry, Courtney Milan. We have a Star Trek, you know. Apparently. Well, and maybe, look, I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I do think the jacket, it would have been helpful for the jacket to make clear that like he wasn't in love with her when he was treating her at right. the doctor's office. Like he didn't right. know her at all then that there's sort of, there isn't the power dynamic here that you think there might be just from reading the jacket. Right. Okay. Um, so as usual, we generated a random number and then we use that number to write our own summaries. For novellas, we generate the number out of 25. And for this episode, that number was 15. So I'll go ahead and start. Uh, um, also, a little bit of behind the scenes information. We were going to put this on the calendar a few years ago. And I wrote these notes like two years ago. And so this 15 word summary was all brand new to me. And I thought, oh, I did a really good job. <laughs> Dr. Wu's secretly ruined lady in this Christmas novella chock full of STDs, miscarriages, and love. I think that's very accurate. I will spoil my candy cane rating a little bit to say you mentioned Christmas in your summary, but I do not. Ooh, let's see. Let's see what that means later. <laughs> so uh, my 15 word summary, an appalling lack of bedside manner can't keep Lydia from falling for the town doctor. I like it. I also think it does a really good job of leading to a trope that I did not write down, but now recognize, which is the sunshine grump trope. Yes. What's interesting here is her sunshine is both genuine and a very cultivated and deliberate outlook. Mm-hmm. And she is not sunshiny with him. Yes. And to a degree that is more honest mm-hmm. than her. Not not completely. Like she really is a happy person. Yes. But I, I liked the, usually it's like the grump warms up yes. when he's with the sunshine, not the sunshine kind of stoops down to the grump's level. And I liked yes. that that's the way it played out here. I did too. I really liked that. I also think that he's a grump. It seems like he has a touch of anxiety really, because he just imagines everything that can go wrong all the time. Well, and he also clearly has some parentification. Mm-hmm baggage where he's uptight and needs to be in control of situations because of the environment that he was raised in yeah Mm -hmm. so 
I mean, Courtney Milan always does a really good job of weaving these into her books, in my opinion. So talk about rich exterior lives and yep. like complicated but largely positive parental relationships. And mm-hmm. yeah, she's gold star at that always. Really good. Okay. It also is a little bit, it's slightly enemies to lovers. Yeah. So as we mentioned, there are two time jumps here. So when they first, this is a spoiler for the beginning of chapter one. Um, mm-hmm. When they first re-encounter each other five years after her pregnancy, she recognizes him and he doesn't recognize her. Mm-hmm. So she is convinced he must be talking to her to like lead on that he knows. Right. And like he's surprised to find the rest of the town hasn't ostracized her. Right. And so she's convinced he's like fucking with her. Mm-hmm. And his he has no idea that's her perception and he sort of says a lot of dickish and sarcastic things that only lead her to further believe he's fucking with her and so it leads to this like back and forth where he's kind of fascinated with her maliness mm-hmm. but she's convinced he hates her yes it's that kind of it's almost like that it's that kind of flirting where you're kind of mean to the person that you're flirting with which doesn't work if that person thinks that you're actually being mean to them. Yes. So, yeah. So in her perspective would be enemies to lovers. His would be re-encounter you as an adult and you're all grown up, but the relationship we had when you were kids means this makes me feel complicated. Yep. <laughs> That's the one. Oh, <laughs> I love the no one since I met you trope. On his part. Because I mean, she's scared yes. to love again. So there's been no one since the terrible time. Right. And he does have a list of marriage candidates. The list was so good. It was really good, right? Wasn't it? Just the way that it kept coming up and being woven through the story. Courtney Milan is really talented at creating like a universe. Yes. Like, you learned so much about him and even his own comments about the lists showing just how self-aware he could be, but where the Mm -hmm. limits of that self-awareness stopped. Like, it could have just been a device in a throwaway romance trope, but it actually did a lot of work here. Yeah, I agree. And I was really impressed. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, so it's, this is a novella. It's short, it's sweet. You know, it's how many chapters? What, 10? 10 chapters? You know, you know, you read it in about an hour. And what's nice about it is that what I like about novellas is you get a structure that lends itself to being wrapped up very quickly. So one of the things that happens in this book is he makes he makes a bargain with her. He makes a bet, the kissing bet, right? (laughs) And it's. He doesn't intend to actually win the bet. He doesn't think that he's actually going to kiss her. He doesn't think he's going to kiss her by winning the bet. He thinks he's going to kiss her because she's going to get to know him while they, you know, interact throughout this this bet. And at the end, she's going to want to kiss him anyway, which I thought was a really nice twist on it. Like, I really liked that, actually. Yes. I will also say that one of the bigger Christmassy devices here is the bet involves her accompanying him on house calls. Mm-hmm. And the three house calls he chooses are a woman in need, 
and then basically Tiny Tim <laughs> yeah. and Scrooge, except Scrooge is also his dad. And so it becomes, there's just a little bit of like Christmas caroliness woven in here. But so, like not too heavy handed. No, and it's not, and not like a one-to-one. It's no. not like it's present, past, and future. So he is kind of creating this fake forced proximity mm-hmm. that actually is his end goal. But the fact that like the way he creates that forced proximity did have a little bit of the Christmas magic to it was really nice. Mm-hmm. And then the other Christmassy things, there are a few Christmassy things in this book. One of the other things is there is a, there's the town Christmas tree that's getting put up and they walk by this Christmas tree all the time. And apparently it's so gigantic. They can get a lot of privacy behind it. They have a lot of private conversations on the stage. where This, <laughs> this Christmas tree is being put okay. up. I actually bought it. So have you ever been to Baker park in Frederick? No. So there's a, like a stage that's got a natural like amphitheater around it. Like, Mm -hmm. it was built against a slope, and then the slope had benches built into it. Mm -hmm. And then there's, like, a half stage, like, a half shell right, Mm -hmm. behind it. And so if you put a big Christmas tree in the middle of that, between the Christmas tree and the shell, I think there definitely would be privacy. Okay. So that's what I was picturing. Did he... Did Courtney Milan describe what the stage looked like or where there were walls or why this tree would afford privacy? No, she did not. But they're making out behind it at one point and he puts his arms up against a wall. So like I I pictured like an enclosed, a half enclosed stage. So the tree was only part of the obstructed view. Mm-hmm. I It was very difficult for me to imagine. And I was like, they're on a stage like in the town center. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and this is where they decide to make out and like talk about her pregnancy or whatever. Totally made sense to me. It's fine. It's fine. Um, and then the other Christmassy stuff that happens is like sexy stuff, but on Christmas Day. Just a little bit. But it's great though. I liked it. That said, there's a couple of really not Christmassy things that are very typical of Milan. One of the things I usually really love about Milan is her ability to incorporate like modern social issues into a believably historical context. Yes. I will say it did take away a little of the Christmas magic here, just how often gonorrhea was mentioned. I mean, this is why I had to put it in my summary. You don't expect like I'm going to read a Christmas novella and then have the hero talk to her about like birth control <laughs> like when when you should use it what it protects you from you know what would happen if you get gonorrhea yeah i mean the reason he wants to get married is so that he can have a safe and reliable source of sexual intercourse how romantic i know that the to be fair this is the beginning of the novella and he, he, that's his reason to like make a list to get married. But once he, once he falls in love with Lydia, that's, I mean, he wants to have sex with her. Not and he's willing she's to wait safe. to do so. He is not right. like, yeah. It just, it, there was a lot of practicality that was not super magical. No, no. And I mean, I think, I think it was actually thinking about it. I think it's a really interesting choice on Milan's part. I suppose the Christmas magic story, which is, as you know, like kind of separate from everyday life, right? Mm -hmm. But put it against this guy who 
is counseling prostitutes on how not to get pregnant or, you know, dealing with his father who's suffering from dementia. Um, I, I think it was an interesting, it's an interesting choice because you don't expect it can be tough to read, but I respect her choice. Absolutely. And I, I think it was all largely well done. It's just a question of it will affect the candy cane rating in the end. <laughs> Let's just say it that way. Um, I loved Lydia's father. Can I just tell you? What a mensch. Right? Best. The best. I mean, her mother was good, too. Like, her mother no was there. No issues with her mother. Right. She wasn't really, she wasn't much of a character. And it's a novella. That's fine. Um, I really liked that her relationship with her father was brought to the forefront. And then also the way he interacted with Jonas. Yes. was just really good. I just really liked it. Completely agree. Was a, it was a really feel good moment in a story that wasn't always feel good. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's get into the content warnings because there are quite a few. Courtney Milana handles them very sensitively and very well, in my opinion. But if these are topics that could be triggering to you, you want to know that going in. Absolutely. So, um, one of the things we talked about when we were reviewing book one in this series is that Lydia clearly had had a questionably consensual relationship with someone in her past. And that gets explored more fully here. Mm -hmm. Um, I think questionably consensual is the exact right term and learning more about it does not, um, make you feel better about it. So she was definitely exploited by an older man when she was 15. It led to her being pregnant and the specific details surrounding their relationship are even more fucked up. Mm -hmm. Yes. So he takes her to see the worst in people. So this is part of the bet, right? He wants her to, to not be able to see a bright side. <laughs> it's like the worst bet. He doesn't right? actually. He doesn't actually, but that's the bet. He's, he's trying to lose. So he doesn't take her to like the actual slums. Yes. Well, he does take her to see a woman who has like five kids and he's eight and the ninth is on the way. I'm going to say I'm pregnant with another five, eight, you know, after, 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 after five. Exactly. Thank you. And um, she's like, oh, that's so sad. Um, and then she she realizes that this woman is also a prostitute. Right. Um, to make ends meet. So it's not, I will say this is not like an empowering view of sex work the way we sometimes see in certain historicals, but it's probably a little more realistic. Yeah. It, it's a very practical view of sex work. And I think yes. both characters approach it very practically, but it's still real sad. Yes. And then as we mentioned before, his father is suffering from dementia, uh, but he also is a hoarder. This may be the first time I've ever seen hoarding depicted in a romance novel, and it was scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. So, you know, if that's something that's a trigger for you, I would definitely avoid this. Like him walking through the labyrinth that has become his childhood home is described in detail on several occasions, and it is a danger. Mm -hmm. he not only to other people and to his father but it also leads Jonas to question you know how long do I let this go on before I intervene 
and how do I intervene? And what does it mean to be the responsible party in this situation? And it was all really, really depressing. Mm-hmm. But I, again, very well done on Milan's part. Absolutely. Sexiness. I thought this was pretty sexy for Courtney Milan. Because this is a novella and there are two sex scenes. Yes. And the fact that his like undying love for her from the moment they were reacquainted as adults was not chaste. Mm-hmm. Like was lusty, was made extremely clear in a way that I found very affecting. He was great. It was really nice. So I really enjoyed their dynamic and I really enjoyed the way that like the way he became a patient for her. Yes. Like all of that worked really, really well. I I liked he's <laughs> he's basically gotta stay silent as if she jinxed him mm-hmm. for like a lot of the end of the book, which could have been really annoying, but ended up being really sexy. I don't know. No, no I when agree. Making out in the church, I was like, sign me up. I you know. know how I feel about weird Catholic imagery. I was all about it. I know. So then she like sneaks into his house and she's like, I have a present for you. Spoiler alert. If you want to read this book and you want to, you know, don't want to be spoiled for what this present is. One minute. She gives him a condom. And he opens it up and he's like, wait, is this what I think it is? Because he still can't talk at the time. So they have to consent only with their eyeballs. He's like miming, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have you, guys, have you ever played any of the Lego Harry Potter games? Yes. Is that I'm what I just that. sounded like? You know how they all have to like they don't speak, so they're all just gesturing. I'm picturing a Lego character holding up a condom <laughs> that's shaped like a Lego piece, going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Jonas. Yes. Okay, let's move on to our candy cane rating. Blaine? All right. So I'm going to – this is the only one we've read so far, and I have not read ahead. So I want to be clear that, like, one, this book is a little bit suffering from – I don't want to rate it too highly or too low. Like, I, But I will say that the, like, Christmas shoes, a Christmas carol, the depressing Christmas shit is always my least favorite. Yeah. And the fact that so much of this was him reflecting on the way Christmas like wasn't the same as an adult. And that really, with the exception of the Christmas tree and the fact that they mention it is winter and she gives him the Christmas gift, it's not like there's no describing of garlands or Christmas lights or like the the commercial Christmas side of things. No. So this is a dead center for me, 2.5. I think that's fair. I think like right in the middle. Like it's there. It's not like not a Christmas book. Yes. But it's also not schmaltzy. There, no, it's not schmaltzy at all. I think there are a lot of Christmas, I think historical Christmas especially, They it happens at Christmas, but there aren't a lot of Christmassy tropes. Yes. And when they manage to get the Christmassy tropes in is when they get my fours and fives. That's right. And when they aren't schmaltzy but don't have STDs is when they get a three. Fair. So maybe at the end of the season, I'll reflect back and feel like I I rated this one wrong, but it's just not my personal Christmas cup of tea. Yeah, that's fair. But it does, I will say, I do think it should rank on the Candy Kid scale. You have given zeros in the past. Yes, uh, this is not a zero. It's not a zero. There is like 
actual Christmassy stuff going on. She gives him a Christmas gift, like a yes. sexy Christmas gift. And I will also say, I don't rate the book a 2.5 out of 5 stars. Right, exactly. I like my Christmas a little schmaltzier, but this is a very good novella, and you should check it out. Content warnings accounted for. That's right. All right, well, thank you so much for listening. And we hope you are prepared for us to review more Christmas novellas, because that's all we do this time of year, and it's our podcast. Thanks so much Coming for listening. Your way. Bye. <laughs>